0: My fellow Americans, in this season of popsicles and pool parties, one thing unites us. Well, actually, it's one store, Old Navy, where right now we can all exercise our right to incredible summer style. Anything less would be un-American.
1: Run to Old Navy now for amazing summer deals for the family, like $2 tanks for women and girls, $4 tees, $6 graphic tees, and $8 shorts and swimwear. Hurry in for summer favorites for $2, $4, $6, and $8 right now at Old Navy. Select styles. In stores only $6.30 to 7 dollars You are listening to Passing Shots with Pete Zebron and Stephanie Neppel on the Pro 10 Radio Network, a production of Pro 10 Global Sports. Enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome to Passing Shots on the Pro-10 Radio Network. Today is July 2nd, 2015. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen along with Stephanie Neppel of I Have a Tennis Addiction. Good evening, Steph. And Steph is not here at the moment, so we're going to be able to get underway here talking about Wimbledon 2015 and quite a few of the seeds have been uh, dropped from competition so far most notably Simona Hollop, the who uh, got all the way to the Roland Garros final last year and has had a very disappointing Roland Garros this year also many other seeds have dropped out of competition including Carolina Pliskova Anna Ivanovich Carla Suarez Navarro Jeannie Bouchard, Flavia Panetta, Sarah Irani, Caroline Garcia, and Strakova as well. And uh, just a, a really shocking start to uh, the beginning of Wimbledon 2015. And uh, probably most uh, most notably is Simona Holup. And we were really wondering what is exactly going on with Simona Holup. I know that... Uh, Darren Cahill has been working with her briefly. Uh, that was an a arrangement coming into Wimbledon, and obviously it didn't work out. Steph, welcome to uh, Passing Shots. Uh, just talking about Simona Halep Had a split with her coach uh, after Birmingham. Uh, decided to work with Darren Cahill for a bit. And uh want to get your thoughts on uh, what is not happening in Simona Halep's game at this point.
2: It's been really curious because if you look at the start of her year, You know, I mean, she was, you know, we were really surprised when she went down kind of meekly to Makarova in Melbourne. And then, you know, everything was kind of going really well for her and we hit the clay and we thought she'd just be smooth sailing and would, you know, be a slam contender in Paris. And she's really faded quite badly. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about her her swag on court and, you know, how she's just a mentally tough player. And, And she's starting to now tell us that, you know she's lacking you know she feels stressed the pressure is an issue and i read um a quote today just saying on she felt on the clay she had too much she couldn't handle it and then today just said she felt low or with uh felt low on emotional energy and and was stressed. so you know that tells me that probably a need for her to have some some psychological you know kind of coaching to really kind of get her to the next stage of, of being a, and remaining a top player because it's all fine and dandy to be, you know, chasing, you know, top names and, and kind of coming out of nowhere. But she's not sustaining that, and now she's sliding. I mean, that's three losses in the last four slams to qualifiers. You know, two losses to Luchich Baroni, the loss to Tepalova. I mean, this is not anything like I think we predicted with Halop, so it's hard to know where she goes from here. I mean, she, she got rid of Wim you remember, at the end of last year after having such a great year. And I kind of wonder, I mean, is she a difficult person that she can't seem to stay in coaching relationships for very long? Because that's a bit of a concern to me.
1: Yeah, I, I was uh, wondering the same thing. It's, it's I, I know that uh, for a while there she wanted uh, other fellow Romanians in her camp, and uh, and she had that with respect to her manager. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, the last three losses to qualifiers. Very surprising stuff. I want to phrase a question to you. Uh, I sat uh, courtside on court number two last year when she prayed Maria Sharapova in Cincinnati. Uh, obviously a very tough matchup for her. Uh, it was a very good match, probably uh, probably my favorite WTA match of the year last year, and there were several good ones, but that was the one that I was able to see in person, so that uh, that really resonated with me. But I'm just going to dial it back a little bit. Obviously, this is a very tough matchup for her against Maria Sharapova. I, I, obviously, what we we saw what she was able to do against Serena Williams at the at the year-end championships, and then uh, obviously the the final conclusion of, of losing to Serena, but. Do you think the fact that she's not able to get past Maria Sharapova has has crept into other parts of her game? I mean, she's very confident in what she's able to do on court against most everybody else, or at least was up until the earlier part of this year. And uh, is is that, uh, okay, I'm not invincible against this person or this person, now all of a sudden other people are taking their shots and succeeding uh, against her? Do you think that plays in at all?
2: Well, it's funny you mentioned Sharapova because I've seen people refer to the Serena match in Miami as a turning point because, you know, she was getting obliterated and all of a sudden, you know, she kind of hung in there in that second set against Serena uh, in that semifinal and then, you know, really hung tough and, and, you know, that was such a battle and, and since then really hasn't, I mean, I don't think she's gotten to a final since then. You know, this has had some really curious losses and a lot of losses where her play has just gotten really sloppy. So, you know, I don't know if she kind of felt like she should have been, if she should beat, you know, the big two, um, in Serena and Maria because she's certainly gotten close and I mean those matches with Maria last year, um, you know, on clay, in the clay finals that they contested were really good matches. Um, and I don't know, it's just she's just gotten really Frustrated on the court, lots of errors being thrown in. I mean, I didn't see the match with sepalova. I've just come back from a trip to Canada, and I was listening to Wimbledon radio yesterday during that match. And, you know, it did sound like Sepulova was playing very good tennis and, you know, did get cut tight when she was, um, you know, up in that, um, on the second set, I think she served for the match. I mean, it, it yeah, it was very tight, but um, it just sounds like Halep's just, really in a spot where she doesn't quite know what to do. I think she's been getting so much advice on the out from the outside. And, you know, when you switch coaches, of course you're getting different strategies presented to you. And it's all fine and dandy last year when things are going really well. But this year, you know, with a newish coach, I mean, how do you kind of, you know, we try to quickly adapt new things and then if they don't work, I mean what do you do? Do you go back to what worked for you and if your confidence is dipped? It just makes it's just a, a bit of a snowball effect and um yeah, I mean it's disappointing. You know, Hallep was close to the final last year. I mean she was playing great tennis, I remember hurt herself against the match with Bouchard and then, you know, fast forward a year and, and those two have I mean Halep is in no way in, in the same situation as Jeannie, but it is a little bit of a bummer to have you know last year's breakout stars both on not a really good uh, you know couple months, and you know the women's game needs both players like that. I would argue, and uh, it's yeah, it's just I'm I'm disappointed not in Halep, but just sort of you know I'm a little curious on on, on the coaching situation in particular. In particular, I feel like, you know, instability there is probably not what she needs right now. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what we see from her this summer on the hard courts.
1: Yeah, good call there. And, uh, obviously, Simona Halep is not alone with uh, with early departures from Wimbledon stuff. You know, I'm looking at the top uh, top half of the draw. We're in the third round. We have only one match that features seated players, and uh, that is uh, – Maria Sharapova against Begu. So really surprising that, uh, you know, the seeds are not holding form. Uh, Simona Halep, early exit. Jeannie Bouchard, we'll talk about her in a little bit. But, you know, other big names, as I mentioned at the top, Anna Ivanovic, Suarez Navarro, Panetta, Arani, Caroline Garcia, Strakova, uh you want to pick one of those and uh analyze a little bit and Ivanovic obviously semi-finalist uh at uh, Roland Garros loses to Bethany maddox Sands who's put together a couple of nice uh, wins there beating Van Vank as well as uh Ivanovic and uh yeah any any of those names that you want to uh talk about at this point
2: well, I think Ivanovich is fitting considering you know she has been kind of known for someone who doesn't have a lot of long-term coaching relationships, obviously used to work with Nigel Sears, and that's probably been the longest coaching relationship she's had that I can remember. Um, and she's also just dumped her fitness coach. So she doesn't have a coach, and she's just broken up with her fitness coach. Um, you know, Obviously, we've talked about her slump this year, but she did just make a grand slam semifinal for the first time in seven years um but i saw a tweet from courtney nguyen of si saying that on it considered actually skipping some of the tournaments on clay to really focus on training because mm. fitness isn't where she wants to be and i think that's been kind of obvious in her matches i mean just movements off, just kind of looks just you know it just doesn't look very easy for her right now um so she did mention getting a good fitness block in after wimbledon but yeah, I mean, she's kind of, you know, a little bit of a butt of a joke sometimes with her um, revolving door of coaches. And I think just even, you know, talking to Hal- about Halep in that regard, it's sort of like, is she going to go down that same train? Because, you know, we've seen Ivanovic kind of the highs and, and the real lows, and now she was, you know, had such a great year last year, and this year has been really, really disappointing. Um it's not like you would consider her the best grass court player that's out there. And Maddox Sands, I mean, you know, it was only a month ago that John Wirtime, you know, said, oh, maybe she should give up singles. And here she is playing qualifying at Wimbledon. She's obviously won three Grand Slam doubles titles this year. You know, she wasn't playing a year ago. She had um, hip surgery. She's had so many injuries. But, you know, she's got a great game for grass, you know, such variety, such a great player at the net. Um, and I think, you know, she doesn't, you know, Anna does well against, well, better against players that, you know, kind of hit in a similar style as her. And I think Bethany, you know, mixes it up so much. And I didn't see that match because I've been away um, for the last week. But I wasn't so surprised by that result. But, again, it's just kind of where does Anna go from here, um, you know, with not really having much momentum at all in any stage this whole year.
1: Yeah, good call there. Uh, Really, really tough, and I'm not a big fan of the fact that uh, all of the coaching changes that we're seeing very often, uh, especially in the women's game right now. We talked about Halep, talked about Ivanovic here right now, and and another person who obviously is uh, front center with respect to the coaching carousel, Jeannie Bouchard, another loss. in, in in the first round of Wimbledon, had finals points to defend. There lost to a qualifier, and uh, you know came out after the fact that uh, you know was advised not to even play. She said, "Well, I, I wanted to play. Uh, it was Wimbledon. I had to give it a go." Well, uh, maybe not if if it if it's an injury uh, to the extent of what it is. I, I don't know. Uh, that's a that's a heck of a dice roll to uh, to even want to play. It was, I I don't think anybody would have. Uh, uh, she would have been given a free pass, if you will, in terms of uh, everybody. You've got an injury. I'm not able to physically play uh, professional tennis on the grandest stage of them all. And so, but let's go back. Let's talk a little bit about Jeannie you now. Uh, Steph, a, a pile of losses uh, so far this year, and uh, it's just gone down elevator shaft for her. And we mentioned on the show about a month and a half ago <clears throat> that the coach uh, is already, Samic is already talking about. 2016, and this was prior to Roland Garros. I didn't quite understand that statement, and uh seems unfortunately like Jeannie has taken him up on that.
2: Yeah, and it's really interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned the ab injury, and I agree. I, don't, I think that a lot of people would have said it was probably a good thing for her to skip Wimbledon because you know, obviously the narrative is around how much she's fallen this year, barely winning matches, obviously the last year in the final, everything going well, golden girl. Um, and in her presser after losing, um, Jeannie mentioned how, you know, the points were going to be off, that pressure's off her now, and she's looking forward to kind of the next stage. And so, I mean, it wouldn't have been great to withdraw, but honestly if she's that injured, that we're, she she talked about it, not being able to prepare for the match. It was minimal preparation because of the injury, which, I mean, that's not ideal for anyone, and I don't know if she just did it for pride, but I think that, you know, it wouldn't have been a bad thing for her just to say, look, I'm injured, and just move on and go, all right. Because now, you know, it, it's, it brings up another question about, we were just talking about Anna and her fitness coach. Well, Jeannie has also split with her fitness coach recently, Scott Br- um Brian brins i'm actually sure how to say that scott Bryan's, um who's gone to work with madison keys now and scott is actually the one who had the connection to get sam sumick to be Jeannie's coach and she had worked with, he you know had been with her for i think 18 months at least and so now he's gone if you look at some of the injuries this year i mean she's had forearm injury she had ankle injury now she's got ab injury so not only is she not winning any matches, but she's picking up all these, you know, there's a lot of fitness concerns with her. She is just 21. I mean, that's, you know, we're just seeing regular um, injuries. And it's not that players aren't carrying things all the time, but, you know, they are forcing her to pull out of matches. And, you know, that's also a concern as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things, again, where you wonder how long she's going to be with Sumik. They've obviously had a bad start, and she's asked about it all the time and she said, "Well, yeah, they both believe in each other, but obviously things need to change and of course, you know, with the way our our selective headlines and and quotes and things, I saw a lot of people attacking Jeannie for you know you know said it was excuse about the abs, and you know talked about her blaming her coach, which is not what she was saying, but obviously things need to change either what they're doing for preparation or anything. I mean, diet, I mean, a lot of people have talked about how much weight she has dropped, you know, thinking that her shots don't have the same weight as they did. You know, there's a lot of things that have gone on. And, you know, I mean, I always say that, you know, a lot of players are creatures of habit. And I think with so many changes, and that's a really hard adjustment. Um, you know, Jeannie had worked with Saviano for a really long time. And, you know, for her, to have made so many changes at the height of her, you know, young successes on the pro tour. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's just a lot to, to kind of mix up when you're, you know, trying to be a competitive athlete and, and do well and and achieve. And, you know, to have everything behind the scenes maybe be up and down all the time. So, yeah, I mean, I think she's planning to play in Washington, D.C. tournament, which she had planned to play last year and pulled out. Um, we'll see if we see her in D.C. again. I guess it depends on, on health and training. But, uh, unfortunately, she's now going to be, dip, you know, down in the – bottom 20s at least in the rankings and it seems to me that she seemed okay with that you know getting the pressure of those points off
1: yeah, good call. And it's interesting you said about the weight. I remember, you know, Daniela Hantakova, this was years ago, but she got very, very thin for a while there. Gisela Dolko got very thin. Justine Anna, kind of the opposite. Uh, she started uh, weight training a little bit and got uh, got a little bigger. And, you know, these these fluctuations, uh, obviously, the pro tennis players are very comfortable at what they are. You get a different voice in your camp, different thoughts, different ideas, and, and all of a sudden, you get away from who you are as a player, whether that be a weight reduction or in, in Justine's case, a weight gain, and obviously she was not the same player at that point in time. So, yeah, a lot of lot of question marks. But Steph, in addition to the coach, uh, the coaching aspect, we've we've talked now about a couple of uh, ladies on the WTA tour with fitness. Uh, fitness coaching changes as well or no fitness coach. So very, very strange what's going on 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 tour right now. We're talking about, you know, people in the top ten here, uh um, Jeannie Bouchard, and Ivanovich. And uh we'll step aside from some of the individual players right now, Steph. And you know, the first couple of rounds at, at Wimbledon, uh, amazing. We had three double bagels. We had uh Angie Kerber who's playing very, very well right now, double bagel the countrywoman Witoff Uh, Andrea Petkovich uh, took care of Shelby Rogers. There was some question whether or not she should have even played that match, and uh, we saw the result there, double bagel. And then Venus Williams, Madison Brangle, and people were talking, oh, it took Venus 39 minutes or so to double bagel. Well, I was following that match uh, on, online. Uh, I was not able to watch it, but the first game in itself took seven or eight minutes. So that means Venus Williams won the next 11 games in, in just over a half hour. Quite remarkable. But uh, any uh, any thoughts on uh, so many double bagels out of the gate at Wimbledon 2015?
2: Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. Um especially Venus, you know, she's not a player, I think about double baggling our opponents very often. And I mean, you know, she's had some not so great losses at Wimbledon the last couple of years. And I mean, I was delighted. It sounded like she was, it was like peak Venus all over again. Um, I have yet to watch the match. I just got home last night from being gone for a week. And so I'm a little behind um, on my viewing, but I, you know, it was a really short match, you know, it was obviously under, I think it was under 50 minutes. Um, I was a little surprised at um, Shelby Rogers getting double bagel Because, I, I, I mean, Pekovic is a, f- a great player, but I, I just on grass, I found that quite surprising. Um, and, and, and you know, Kerber, yeah, I mean, she's playing great. You know, we didn't get to talk um, last week uh, about her winning Birmingham, obviously, third term of the year. I mean, she's in very good form as you know, had been Eastbourne final a couple years. I mean, that didn't surprise me as much. But, uh, you know, that was a great start for Venus to, you know, maybe say, hey, you're going to take me serious. You know, maybe you thought I wasn't doing great because I didn't do well in clay, which is kind of her thing. But now, you know, I think that was a nice kind of way to announce herself back as the five-time champion that she is on the lawns at Wimbledon.
1: Yeah, completely agree. There's a lot of lopsided... uh uh, routes there, and Kvitova. We'll talk about her in a little bit, uh, Steph. She doesn't have a double bagel, but uh, through two rounds, she's only dropped three games. Incredible. There's some there's some domination going on uh, in at Wimbledon by some players, but obviously some of the other big names are are no longer in the draw as well. And um, you know, one other one other point. Yeah, go ahead.
2: I just want to throw in. I've just been told by Karen, who's a Bridge P on Twitter. Hi, Karen. That um, Shelby had both of her legs heavily taped. So it wasn't a huge surprise. She got double bageled. She couldn't really move. So, you know, we just talked about Jeannie playing when she was advised not to, a kind of do wonder with Shelby and what kind of injury she had and if she just decided to go for it and play. But, um, you know, double bagels are, i got to say, not something I ever really like, even yeah. if it's my favorite, because, you know, you think about the fans sitting through matches and, I mean, it is demoralizing to not win a game, Um, and it does happen. I mean, we saw Carlos Suarez-Navarro get double-pagled by Serena a couple years ago in, what, a quarterfinal at the U.S. Open? I mean, it does happen. Um, But thanks for that heads-up, Karen. I didn't, like I said, I didn't see anything from the first two days of – or sorry, the first day at least of Wimbledon this year. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but on the flip side, you know, there's still six – American women went down. Bringle and Rogers, both Americans, did eat eat double bagels um, in their first round, but we've got you know some really good stories on the women's side, which we can, we'll can we go into a little bit more as we look at each half of the draw.
1: Yep, Steph, and um, we're going to break uh, right now. When we come back, we will have Liesl Huber join us. Uh, we're going to break for a commercial, and when we come back, we'll have our very special guest, Liesl Huber. We'll be back right after this.
3: They try and make it seem like they want to protect kids from smoking. But in reality, they've been targeting children for decades. They used to make and sponsor cartoons to market cigarettes. But despite these shows being popular among children, they claimed that these cartoons were for an adult audience. Then, they paid movies to feature their brands. Some of your favorite superhero movies have characters that the industry actually paid to smoke on screen. One
0: industry exec said that, We must continue to exploit new opportunities to get cigarettes on screen and into the hands of smokers.
3: And now they carefully place posters and other ads at convenience stores and push new products that look and taste just like candy. Who eats candy and sees ads that are three feet off the ground? Come on. So you want to know why I'm tobacco free? Because I don't want that marketing to reach my little sister. That's why. Learn more at WhyDoYouThink.com. That's the letter WhyDoYouThink.com.
1: To celebrate the not-normal Mini Cooper, we hired an expert to tell you about Mini telepathically.
3: Greetings. Relax and listen to my mind.
0: The Mini Cooper hardtop comes with
3: 37 MPG and co-cart handling.
0: Wait, that's
1: not telepathy. Listen again.
3: The bigger four-door Mini Countryman has seating for five.
1: Okay, you're just whispering. You're still paying me for this. Come see the 37 MPG Mini Cooper hardtop and the bigger Mini Countryman today. Visit MiniUSA.com slash info for MPG details.
0: Hi, this is Johan Krick, and you're listening to the Pro 10 Radio Network.
3: Lisa and Liesl, what a performance you had today. I mean, wow. This is your third championship, your fourth WTA championship title, your second, and your first together. You struggled at the early stages of your, of your season to start it in April, and then you turned it on strong. What does this mean to you?
1: And welcome back to Passing Shots on the Pro Ten Radio Network. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen, Stephanie Neppel of I Have a Tennis Addiction, and we'd like to welcome five-time major doubles champion, two-time mixed doubles champion, Liesl Huber, to the show. Welcome this evening, Liesl.
4: Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm listening to you guys, and I feel like I'm uh, right there at Wimbledon, listening to all the results. Although I'm, I'm t- calling in from Houston, Texas, I thank you guys for having me on tonight.
2: Welcome, Liesl. Yes, it's fun to, you know, every day we, we... – live and breathe tennis and it's great for pete and i once a week to talk particularly just focusing on on the wta because you know there's just so much going on right now so we appreciate your time and catching up with us um speaking of wimbledon obviously we haven't seen you since wimbledon last year so um you know missed you on the court and kind of wondered first off you know i believe you had knee surgery last year and just kind of what the status is of uh you know your health and are we going to see you on the tour again
4: Well, um, thanks for asking and yeah, I miss it too. I think when you're off the road, um, you know, players that are on the road, they don't actually realize until maybe you've been away and then you come back and then they realize. There's so much that's going on when you're on the road. And likewise, when you're at home, there's so much going on that you actually don't know what tournament's going on at the time. my months and my weeks always get correlated by tournaments. So I'll be like, oh, this is Birmingham week or this is Eastbourne week. And now I kind of I realize, wow, I missed the whole of um, the European play court season. It just seems like when you're home, a lot of things go on. And I think likewise, like I said, when you're on the road. But um, actually this coming Friday would mark one year that um, when I played my last match on tour, um, I I struggled the knee, and I've had four knee surgeries. I struggled the knee, um, you know, throughout the year, and it really was just a major surgery. I had a microfracture surgery, and, you know, the hopes are always coming back. My knee is great. My knee is is great. My knee is, I'm good to be playing, to be back on the road, but that only, this has only happened in the last, you know, couple weeks. Um, I have also decided not to compete, you know, during team tennis. I think that um, if you haven't been playing matches, I don't think it's fair jumping into a team competition if you're not ready for that, and that's kind of unfair to a team. And I am, as much as I'm an individual player, I'm also a team player. So the hope for me is to be back someday. Um, I can't say if it's, when it's going to be exactly. I have my special ranking. My special ranking will be through next year Wimbledon. Um, I hope that it wasn't the last time that I played. I mean, the love for tennis is still there. The urge to get out there, maybe not so much. I mean, I have a wonderful family, and I have a great business here in Houston, um, and it's a lot of work to get back out there. So I train really hard with my need to get back, um, and we just kind of have to see. I'm not deciding one way or the other just yet.
1: Yeah, it sounds good, Liesl. Thanks for that. And uh, speaking of uh, of your business, I was wondering if you could uh, talk to us a little bit about the Huber Tennis Ranch and how big of a part of uh, your life it is at this time.
4: Well, you know, like everybody wants to give back to tennis and everybody thinks tennis is a sport of a lifetime. Um, My husband and I, when we first met, um, before we were married, we always said, oh, that would be a dream of ours having our own place. Um, Hindsight, I think that we didn't realize how much work, you know, a tennis center entails. We have 15 courts and, you know, hundreds of people coming through the doors every um, week. And um, it's, you know, 24-7. I just... I just um drove into my um my parking lot right now um, you know having worked uh, we run another program and another club also for them um so it's just you know teaching uh, you have to have the love for it you i think you gotta know um kind of your reason or your why you want to teach. And for me, it's really about giving back. Maybe when a parent comes to me and say, you know what, we just moved here from Oklahoma, my son didn't have any friends, he's got a lot of friends now. Or maybe, you know what, my son didn't get good grades at, at school, but now that he's so disciplined in tennis, now he is getting good grades. Or maybe, you know what, I lost nine pounds since I started taking tennis. So for me, the reason is, is deeper than just creating an, another professional player out here. Um you know, we, we eat, breathe, sleep tennis, and I'm sure like you guys also. Um, um, my my dream wasn't to teach, you know, full-time, and my dream is still not to teach full-time. I'm more humanitarian. So I'm thinking of this kind of just an in-between phase, and then, you know, in a few years' time, I can just do my humanitarian side, and the business will, will run itself. But with any businesses that you start up, you know, we opened Hubert Tennis Ranch in 2008. So it's a pretty fairly new business, and we're not business people. We are tennis players, and so for us, um, it's tweaking all the time and, and just kind of finding the right medium. But it's been fun. you know. I, a lot of people um, appreciate my experience out here, and I think that's also what, what keeps me hours and hours on the court is knowing that I can um, improve somebody's shot or make them feel good or, and really just get the best out of everybody on the court. But once again, if you want to get in the tennis teaching business, come and talk to me. It's hard work. <laughs> it's not like just getting a huge check from you know grand slam. It's it's hard work.
2: I was going to ask you, so are you actually on like every day? Are you actually giving lessons? Is that kind of a fair comment, or is it it just depend on the time of the year? Um, no.
4: Well, I've only I've been only on the court. I've been teaching. Um. A little bit here and there, and it's really just like maybe um, a 10-year-old, you know, a good 10-year-old that wants to go pro, and I've been working with her. And I love the ladies in the morning. That's kind of my social. You know, we've been traveling 40 weeks a year, and so you don't have a lot of friends. You have like a handful of friends. So really this has been my my friendship and my socialization. And likewise for the ladies that come and play in the mornings. And I'll run in-house leagues and things like this. So I'm not physically on the court for those in-house leagues, but I'm, you know, on the side I'm the one organizing it, putting on the sets, um, chatting with the ladies. Um, and I'm with the junior program for a while there. I was a, a few hours in the afternoon on the court. But uh, I try not to be on the court that much. You know, I've been on my feet for a long time, and I've worked very hard. Uh, but sometimes with any business that you kind of start up, you have to physically be in the trenches and do it. And, and that is the part also that I enjoy. I enjoy um, seeing improvement in somebody's game. Well,
1: Liesl, thank you for that. And We'd like to remind our listeners you can call us at 347-637-1197. And, Liesl, you've won five majors in doubles and two in mixed doubles. I want to ask you, what was your uh, most favorite major win, and, and why was that?
4: Well, I think the most memorable one was definitely the first one. I had been in a few finals before that, and um, believe it or not, people will I will ask people and say, how old do you think I was when I won my first slam? Because people think their kids got to hit it big, you know, when they're 18 years old. And people don't realize that I was actually 27 years old when I won my first slam, um, I just hadn't reached my, my 10,000 hours yet, I guess. Um, I uh, it was the most memorable because my parents were in the stands. Firstly, uh, secondly, it was most memorable because the the toughest score I think that we had the whole week was like the whole two weeks was maybe six two six one. And then I I also found it was quite memorable because I was playing with another African. I was playing with Cora Black, who I'd known since a kid. So for many reasons. And also, you know, as a kid, you're always watching Wimbledon. So, wow, that's amazing that you get to win that tournament. Um, nobody can take that away from you. So that was amazing. And um, at the same time, you know, that was the, the best day of my life, I felt. And then uh, four days later it was the worst day of my life. I had played an exhibition match and blew out my knee. So, um, you know, with tennis, you have highs and lows. But you definitely learn from the good times. I mean, you celebrate the good times and you learn from the bad times, so in my career and my experience um I celebrate all of that because if it wasn't for that knee injury that I had, then I probably wouldn't have had the hardworking you know ethic that I had the rest of my career or even reached number one after that so i' i I look at that as a high also,
2: yeah, I mean that's clear and in, in you know anyone that follows sports in general i mean there's we can't put ourselves in your shoes, but obviously so many highs and lows and things you just have to battle through all the time, which is, you know, I guess part of anyone's career out there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you obviously had a lot of successes and doubles, and I, I just kind of wondered, and, and we actually had a question on Twitter coming in, and, you know, there's a lot of players, top players especially, that don't play a lot of doubles. I mean, do you think that it's a game that a lot of singles players should be playing more, or do you – I mean, see certain skills that aren't being developed as much now because we don't, you know, doubles is not sometimes given as much a priority. Because obviously, I mean, fans love doubles. And so, you know, there's always a debate about, you know, coverage of doubles and, and whatnot. But I just kind of wondered your thoughts on that.
4: Well, I think that, that's a great question. I think that nowadays there's so much money in tennis that the, the great singles players don't have to play doubles. It's not like when Martina played that she, you know, ruled everything. She ruled singles and doubles. Um, and that obviously, you know, helped her game. And I think there is, you can you you can decide this by yourself, but I, I do know that if you um, are a good doubles player, that can only improve your singles game. You look at players like Samantha Stoser or even Serena when she comes into the net. I mean, she's dominant in doubles. She's got the net game. I think a uh, couple of the players, when when you stick them out there on the doubles court and they're a top singles player and we know they don't play, you're, we're almost gunning for them at the net. Yes, we're not gunning for them at the baseline, but we're gunning for them at the net because we know that they're not that comfortable. So um, I think it's a different game, you know, singles and doubles. Having said that, I think that it can only benefit you to play. But... There's so much money out there in singles, so why would you play doubles? Why would they are so physically demanding and everybody is working so hard on the singles court? Why wouldn't you take your rest time? Why would you come for the measly doubles money? And you can quote me on that measly doubles money because I hear that um, Hennen won the most singles prize money that every, anybody ever did. She won $5 million or $6 million, I don't remember what it was. Cara Black and I had won a million, and that was exactly a fifth of the prize money um, because doubles players were getting like 15% of what singles players were earning. So why would you spend that extra time? Why wouldn't you rest your body? Why would you go out there on the court um, for for that little bit of extra money? So, I mean, maybe you don't like that answer, but... I wouldn't if I was in the top ten in singles or even top twenty. There's so much on stake right now. I wouldn't be out on the doubles court. Oh, no, I that's-
2: understand. I mean, it's and it's a debate amongst tennis fans, and I know it's it's written about. And you know, I mean, and it's not just the money in doubles. I mean, it's just every part of it. it just doesn't it doesn't get its due. And and I've been to enough tournaments and talked to plenty of fans that, that love watching it, but yet it doesn't translate to being able to watch it on TV, seeing, you know, good crowds, you know, the, the scheduling is, is sketchy. So alongside that, of course, the money isn't as much, and it's not like your travel expenses are less. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's the same cost to travel around the world, all these tournaments. So, I mean, as someone who, you know, I love playing doubles. I love watching it. And it is, it is sad because I, you know, I've always feel like it's marginalized and, and I hate that, you know, I hate being at, you know, at a grand slam final and, you know the crowd for the doubles is nothing compared to the singles. I mean it's yeah it's it's a it's we could have a whole show all about that sometime. You know it is it is kind of a sad state of affairs. But um, you know I I guess there's parity of you know there's so many discussions around prize money and at different levels and doubles is is obviously not getting what it should get. So um no but please Stephanie, we want your opinions. Feel free to come <laughs> um, all. But um I Stephanie. think we've got a caller. Pete, do you want to?
1: Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to bring a caller on in just a second, but Lisa, you you want to uh, to comment? Yeah, on I want. Yeah, yeah,
4: I want to say. I want to say. Stephanie take Sephiroth. This is a classic example. You know, top twenty singles player um, wins the Australian Open in doubles, right? Wins the. I mean, how did that help her singles? Um, going into the French Open, it just kind of kickstarted a whole. Um, first part of the year by winning the doubles, a Grand Sam title is a Grand Sam title, whether it's in singles, doubles, or mixed. and you can ask anybody that. If they don't have a Grand Sam title to their name and they get that one, it's like, it's confident city. They're happy. They're like, I got a Grand Sam to my name. Nobody ever asked you, um, or who, I don't think, if you just say I'm a Grand Sam winner, nobody really here is whether it's singles or doubles. Of course, singles is always going to be, you know, the big thing. But look at Sepharova, winning the doubles at the Australian Open, kickstarts her singles even more. She's talented, no doubt. Look where she's at now. Wins the doubles in the French Open, absolute high. So this is where I'm talking about where I'm saying that doubles can help your singles. Maybe it's not a particular shot. But maybe it's your maybe it's your attitude, maybe it's just your confidence level, maybe it's the way people um perceive you or look at you and go, "Wow, they're forced to be reckoned with, so she's a classic
2: example, so I really
4: enjoy that, and plus she's a super nice girl,
2: yeah, you know, we talked about that actually about how you know it was clear that you know, not just the the fun she was having in doubles, because, you know, that is a a nice part of the the game for people that, you know, it's such an individual sport. And so, you know, Lucy and Bethany are such a great team, and they have a lot of fun together. And, you know, that obviously winning always helps you win more when you have confidence. And so, yeah, we've talked about how that is translating, and, and, you know, that was a great run for her. And, of course, she's defending semifinal run last year from Wimbledon. So it'll be interesting to see how that carries on but uh pete have we got karen back on the line i think she
1: i'm going to check uh yep she is um lisa we have uh, one of our loyal listeners karen i'm going to bring her on and uh, she'll have a question or two for you okay great welcome to the show karen hi, thanks. thanks for joining us
3: hi lisa um i'm karen i'm a tennis blogger big fan of women's tennis and also a fan of doubles as well and I I I I I take your point in relation to playing doubles and the fact that it's not financially rewarding. But one of the problems that I've had, especially with the younger players that are coming up, is their penchant to just play on the baseline and have absolutely no clue what to do in the mid court, forecourt, or even you know how to use the whole court to their advantage. And I was just wondering whether or not this, if this is not something that should be encouraged if coaches shouldn't encourage their young charges to play more doubles to develop all-around games? Um,
4: and do you think that would be beneficial to today's players? Karen, that's a great question. I just want to let you know, doubles is definitely financial worth playing. I'm just saying it's probably not worth it to somebody that earns, you know, millions and millions. Then the doubles prize money, you know, seems... Comparable. But for some doubles player like myself that would earn, you know, a a good living, doubles is definitely worth it. And um, the kids that train with us, we make sure that they do play doubles. We are always working on um, tactics, we are always working on a strategy. And strategy is definitely where you want to end up, is that end up at the net. It doesn't mean you have to serve volley. It doesn't mean yeah. you have to hit a clean winner. It's working the point, working the point, and even my the little ten-year-old that I have that is going to turn pro hopefully one day. You know, the lesson that I had with her the other day was a swing volley and put away the next volley. She's That's too a- small. She's too small to have that first body that, you know, has an arm up here at the top. So we got the, the Amanda Kutzer style. Amanda Kutzer played a lot of doubles. She was ranked three in the world. But she had a, you know, full rounded game. So I got reminded of that the other day working with little Sophie um, that I need to, you know, incorporate because because she's small or maybe she doesn't have a net game, we need to still have a net game. And she has a great net game. So I definitely think that kids play at the baseline all the time. When you do play at the baseline, there's no intimidation factor. If somebody hits the ball short, they don't even worry about whether you're coming in or not because they just know, oh, please come in because I know you don't have a volley. So I think that as much time as we spend on the ground strokes, we have to spend that on approach. We have to spend that on... Um, passing shot, we have to spend that on putting away the volley. We need to work on them putting that first volley cross court. I think too many times now um, coaches that are not out there on the road they're they're wanting the player to hit the volley here and hit the volley there and the player doesn't they know where to cover at the net so like we're covering at the baseline you know the, the coach has got to know how the player has to cover at the net then it will give the player confidence to come in more But, yeah, I mean, uh, club players love doubles, so I don't see why um, they shouldn't show doubles. I don't see why the kids shouldn't get good at doubles. Um, I don't see why the coaches shouldn't teach it more. And there should be days spent on just that your movement up at net, which foot to stick out first when you're going for a volley this side, during eye formation. I mean, there's so much. I just love it. That's why I love actually working with the ladies in the morning, because they play a lot of doubles, and then I can, you know, improve their, their volleys in an instant.
1: Liesl, thank you so much for that. And unfortunately, um uh, looks like Karen's call dropped. But no, that was a very complete and comprehensive overview. I, I really appreciate that and, and taking Karen's question. And, you know, before uh, that question, Liesl, you mentioned uh, about Lucy Safarova and, and her doubles play and what that's brought to her singles game. Obviously, as Steph mentioned also, Bethany Maddox-Sands enjoying uh, some nice success at singles at Wimbledon. But you know what? I remember uh, prior to Svetlana Kuznetsova winning her couple of majors, she did partner in doubles with Martina Navratilova, and that really helped her uh, in terms of singles and net play. Liesl, I know you've partnered with Martina. Uh, I've also played with her at Wimbledon and roland Garrow. so I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about uh, your playing with Martina, especially at Wimbledon, and uh, what you were able to learn for your own game in playing with Martina.
4: Well, Martina and I, you know, we go back a long way. I mean, I'm going to be 39 uh, in August, so I'm kind of part of this generation of players, but also the previous generation – So I'm so fortunate that when I was playing, when I started playing, Martina had come back and was playing. She was friends with some of the girls that I was hanging out with. And so we just actually became friends before we became doubles partners. She even gave me my little Jack Russell, which sadly passed away earlier in this year when he was 14 years old. So we have a friendship and a bond. We ended up partnering together because we were friends which is not always great playing with a friend because um you want to be able to have a business relationship out there. so for us, we didn't just have to uh figure out our game style, but we also had to kind of keep you know our friendship off off to one side and then when we came off the court, okay, we could you know hang out and do fun stuff and go on a scooter ride or boat ride or whatever we wanted to do, go for a meal together et cetera. Um, We had a great time playing together. Um, We won, um, I think we won a tournament in Sarasota. I do not know exactly all the results that we had together, but uh, she is competitive. I tell you what, that's one thing that I learned a lot about Martina. Anything and everything she did, she was competitive. One day we were running, we were doing sprints after practice, and my husband is much faster than me, and my husband was running sprints against her. But the rules kept changing. She just kept changing the rules, and then the rules went. But it just showed you she was just so competitive. But the problem was my husband could only last like two sprints. So in the end, she almost beat him. She didn't quite, but she almost beat him because she just kept changing the rules. She She's just competitive. You know, at the same time, I don't think that people realize how nice a person she is. She has such a good heart. Um just a good person. Um, I, I, you know, I I just learned a lot from her in the sense of the half volley. You know, she just told me, Lisa, you just got to stay low and keep moving with it. She has one of the best half volleys. Uh, she also told me something, and I don't mind sharing this. Is She said, Lisa, wait in the middle with your racket. Don't wait off to one side. You know, like people favor a forehand or backhand volley.
1: Yeah. Now, m-
4: mind you, she favors her backhand volley. So when I played her since, I knew that because she was my partner. The the best way to find out what somebody's good at and not so great at is when they're your partner. And sometimes when she got really hit hard on the foreign side, she wasn't really ready. And I realized that she favored her back end. But yet she could tell me, because that's something that didn't work for her. She could tell me, Liesl, stay right in the middle." I teach that to people today. I said, "Don't wait to one side, stay right in the middle." Another thing she said to me, Liesl, there's nothing like a back and overhead. Don't be lazy, get around it and hit that forehand, then hit that overhead with the forehand side." So that is something you'll never see me hit a back and overhead. Just get around it. She's just um just a different notch, you know. She's just up a notch and really good person and competitor and I wish I played with her when I was younger and she was younger.
2: Those are some great stories. I really appreciate you sharing because yeah, I mean, those sorts of things, I mean, I guess when you've played doubles for so long, you do end up playing, you know, with or against, you know, most of the other, of the women on tour. So, just kind of curious on that note. I mean, what is it like to play against Serena and Venus as a doubles team compared to any others because obviously you know, uh, you did contend a few uh, ma- big matches against them. Uh,
4: I tell you, they're just in a different um, category. I think that uh, Venus and Serena are just great for the game. We have so much to be grateful to them. Besides them being amazing and scary when you're on the other side of the court, we had some. I had some terrible losses against them. Uh, I think. Uh, US Open final, maybe. Um, I don't remember, but maybe a couple Grand Slam final or semi final. Um, just got annihilated, really. Um, beat them one time only, and I think that was like I could have um, just retired and could have just um, quit that day. I was so happy. But, I think um, I've seen a
2: picture of you at the scoreboard at that match.
4: Yeah, I'm pretty really sure happy that you posed. With, yeah, Does they that had sound it, right? Um, it was maybe 11 9 in the tiebreak. It was in China. Um, they had a bunch of match points. We ended up winning that. And my husband came out. We had on court coaching and he just said, you know what, well, just play within your game. You don't have to play more. And I think that's what Venus and Serena a demand of players is players feel like they've got to come out and do even more because they're so unbelievable. And you do have to. But when you, you know, when you try and overcompensate, then you, then your serves don't go in that much. Then you make easy mistakes. And so um, they, they have just truly elevated the game. You know, it's just not uh, putting the ball in. You know, it's just getting the getting the line, catching the line. Just uh, really, just unbelievable athletes. But I will also tell you, good people. You know, about four or five weeks ago, I got an email from Venus. Uh, when maybe it was maybe it was two months ago now because you know I lose track of time here with the schedule not on my not on my tournament schedule. And um, she it was when Fed Cup was going on and the USA was playing and she was watching it on TV and she just sent me an email and she said, "Hey Liesl, just thinking of you and and missing our Fed Cup times and I'm so grateful for having played with you that time." And you know I just thought that was really nice um just nice and thoughtful uh, likewise for Serena when we played in the Olympics when I played with Lisa Raymond I ended up um in the ER that night in my middle match um I ended up uh, having a ruptured cyst and so on and uh I couldn't fly home with the team and Serena won the singles and they won the doubles I mean Come on, you don't have to think about anybody. You just enjoy the moment. And the very next place that I got to, there was this massive bouquet of flowers just from Serena to say, I hope you're feeling better. So I think that, and I'm not standing up for them and saying please like them, but I just want to tennis it's such a harsh, um, or any being in the public is so harsh, is that you actually, when you're, in the trenches or actually around the people, people are quite normal, you know, and, and everybody also needs friends, and uh, I just, I really, uh, I look up to them, but at the same time, they're, I consider them uh, friends of mine, they're super nice, we uh, exchange pins together, and we, and that US Open, uh, Venus bought me this embroidery pin bag with my name on it, and said, here's your pins, and they're they're good people, you know. So I think besides just being good citizens, I think they're amazing for the game. And I can't imagine that um, how long it's going to be until we have uh, champions like them again.
2: Yeah, I agree and I mean I'm I'm someone and I've talked on the show extensively about my, you know, deep love of of the Williams sisters and I've followed their entire careers and you know, I I personally don't think they get the due that they that they should because they are incredible incredible women that have done so much to transform the game and, and, and fans. And I mean, they're just global superstars and, you know, Venus with prize money and, you know, they're both such great ambassadors. And it is nice. I have to say to hear nice stories because, you know, it does seem like, I guess to, to the lowly fans like us that, you know, there isn't a lot of friendship on the tour and it does seem in the last few years, and it's probably more the social media side, because I, I don't get the sense from what you're saying that, you know, it's, like people, I mean, of course, you guys see each other year round, and um, you know, you do develop friendships, and it's nice to hear things like getting emails from someone like Venus just checking up on you, and yeah, I mean, that's nice because I mean you're all in this sport together, trying to you know sell the product and you know get fans to come and watch you, and it's nice to hear about friendships developing and and whatnot um yeah,
1: but I, well, on that I... note,
2: I just wanted to ask about you know mixed doubles because. You know that is it always seems like an interesting sign up process at the slams, and you know it is the only opportunity really for fans to see the a t p and the w c a players on the same court um and I just kind of wondered a little bit about how you selected your your partners for mixed and how that worked, and you know who you might have had as your favorite partner to to play mixed doubles with.
4: I just wanted to tell you, sorry, Stephanie, to go back. I just wanted to tell you that Venus and Serena, myself, we served on the player council. I was on the player council for seven years. That's um, really, uh, that's a no-paying position. You're just representing the players. So besides uh, Venus and Serena, you know, representing themselves and going out there on the court, they're also uh, representing their uh, category of players. They both represent the top 20. So that's about tournament scheduling, points, um, prize money, uh, anything that comes up that they have to rate the players, they uh, poll their top 20. I represented the 100 plus players, so and, and then later on my career, I represented 20 plus. So anybody ranked 20 plus. So it was a, I mean the thing, the little things that we worked on together was equal prize money. Uh, another thing was we got um, the WTA uh, official health and nutrition sponsor, which is Usana which actually, coincidentally, I now I'm a USANA associate, so I help people with their health needs. But um, every WTA athlete gets their free vitamins and supplements, and it's guaranteed clean product. So um, those are things that you don't know about Venus and Serena, so I just wanted to tell you that. I'm a fan, and people can make fun of that, but um, they do a lot. So mixed double of fun time. Um not always fun times um tough because the women, even if you play the best on the court, it doesn't guarantee you winning the match and but I tell you what if you play the worst on the court, you are going to lose that match um I am fortunate in the sense that um i've won I've had really good partners I've partnered with Mike and bob bryan I've partnered with max murney um i've partnered with my Heshbook party. I've just I've had great partners and um enjoyable times. Uh Bob and I, I believe we won uh the French Open and we won US Open and with Mike I think we made it to the final perhaps. Um but it it's it's uh it's a thing of put your serve, put your first serve in, uh, just say yours. If he says mine you get out of the way. I will tell you what the Bryan brothers always give credit to their partner, and really the partner due to them. They're most amazing. Their service unreturnable. They're upbeat all the time. Uh, they're just the best for the game. And uh, it was an honor for me to play play with Bob and with Mike. And I'm and I'm huge fans of theirs, and I cheer them on. And of course, like everybody, follow them on Facebook and and just amazed at the success that they so deserve and and have had. But mixed doubles is is tough times. Just As my husband always says, it's just hit to the skirt. And if you're not (laughs) hitting to the skirt, then um, you're in trouble in tough times. So um, an example, like we played at the U.S. Open. I think I played with Max Murney, This was a couple years ago. Uh, We played against a lefty American and uh, his partner. And... I could not return this guy served for the life of me. A hooey. no, not American Huey. No um you know, Yes yeah. yeah. I could not return he served. Les <laughs> he served just spun and spun and spun. And you know what? I just I started making fun with the crowd, anything to try and relax myself. I said, Hey, do you want to try and return this? I would stand to one side of the box and I'd stand to the other side. It ended up coming down to a tie break, you know, in the third set. And this guy was serving to me really almost to finish off the match. And I guess because just determination, willpower, whatever it was, um, the guy ended up double-faulting to me. And then we, we ended up serving out the match. And I was, I kept thinking to myself, you, you know all you have to do is just put the ball in the box to me and I won't be able to return it. It's such a difference in level. Um of the game, the female definitely has to be strong out there, but it's still a huge difference um out there um the The people that win the mixed doubles titles are the female that can just kind of hang you know that can hit hard that there that is a solid you know if you just kind of look back at the slams that have been won, it's the female had to play solid, but definitely the man's the one dictating so um it it's fun it's fun. <laughs>
1: No, that's great, Liesl. Thanks. And what, first off, we, we'd like to. Steph and I really appreciate you being uh, on with us tonight. Just to have a final question uh, for you, and then uh, after you answer that, you can you can talk a little bit about anything you want about tennis. But want to get your thoughts about uh, the the current women's game where it stands today. Obviously, you've been on tour for a while. You've seen quite a bit uh, on the WTA tour. Want to get your thoughts on on what you think about uh, the, the game as it stands today.
4: Well, I think in the WTA tour in itself, and I think in that aspect, I think the tour is in the best state that it has been. I think, um, the management side of it, uh, the tournaments, uh, the people that are in charge, the, even the medical staff, our physios, you know, all those behind the scenes, I think as a player, you're, you're, it's, it's the most demanding because there's the most prize money out there but the the fittest ones will win now. You know, the ones that work the hardest, the ones that have the biggest support system, those are the ones that will do the best. I think it's a very exciting time for women's tennis. I can't believe that Serena's in her 30s and, you know, and still going and still at the top and, you know, that's exciting. Um the average, I'm sure the average of women's tennis players uh years have gone up. That's that's great. Um I I just think that sometimes when there's so many good players maybe uh that's not so exciting for fans. Maybe they just want uh, like a Chris Evert and at the top and then it's just, oh we want to see them in the final and we we wonder who's going to win this time. Maybe that's what fans want. But I think in the women's game Although we, we know Serena is top dog, I think we we have four or five contenders out there that's dark horses that have the potential to also come up. And, of course, there's young ones like Bensic and, you know, and Safarova, like dark horses like this. I think it's it's fun. Uh, the, the girls are all hitting hard, but it seems like each one has still their own style. Each one has still a weapon or... Um, just kind of their own tactic, like Holly. You know, maybe she's not on a top game right now, but, I mean, she's just as smooth as can be. So for me, just being a, a person watching, um, I'm thinking it's really exciting for for the fans right now. Of course, I always think they should show doubles more, and uh, the, the people, the fans enjoy it. When you're playing Indian Wells, I think there is isn't a seat to be had in the court. My own family, I tell them, come the match before to find a seat. (laughs) Uh, If you want to talk about men's game, you know, likewise. I just think that tennis is in a really good state right now. I'm obviously not behind the scenes. I'm not there. I think college tennis is in a good state. I think tennis is in a good place right now. Um, Our economy is doing okay, and so I think that also allows more people to start playing tennis. And I think a lot of the tennis players that – are retired, or that are thinking to retire, or maybe that have retired, they put themselves back into tennis, which makes it uh, the tennis level go even more up, so I don't know, if you have any other questions, I think that's the best answer I can give you, I'm really excited to be a part of tennis, and having played professional tennis, and I think it's changing by the day, I mean, I haven't played for a year, and I feel intimidated to go back out there.
2: I was going to ask, Liesl, I mean, do you watch quite a lot of tennis? I mean, is it just one of those things that just depends on everything else in your life? Or do you, you know, every week are you watching some matches?
4: I don't watch any tennis right now. Okay. I don't watch any tennis right now. I may watch um, yesterday, uh, Vavrinka was on the TV. I watched a couple of games. What I'll do is maybe I'll watch their service motion. You know, I'll go in and see. um, I might read up something about, you know, how you can improve a serve. So I'm a little bit more on the technical side now. And then I'll go and look, or I'll study points, and I think, oh, I wonder, um, the player that wins a match 6-4, 6-4, I wonder how many points did they actually win of a match? So how close is a match? How many percentage of – so those are things that intrigue me more about just go and watching. Of course, I love to watch my friends. You know, uh, Lisa Raymond, you know, I, I checked back into live scoring a, a couple times yesterday to see what her score was. I couldn't actually see the actual point. But you'll find when you're around tennis all the time, you don't go out there and go and watch. But maybe the people, Sonia Mirza, like the people that you're closer with and that you have like a vested interest, I hope they win. Or even Bethany Maddock, you know, so happy for her. Um but actual physically watch I don't have time. Yeah. I wake up four in the morning, i you know, I'm busy. I got a two year old and I have a business I have two businesses going and yeah. there's no time for me to sit in front of the T V unless it rains which is not <laughs> a good thing in the tennis business either. <laughs>
2: definitely well on that note actually i had another question come in from twitter just and i know we might need to let you go soon but uh you know a lot of former players do get into coaching and obviously you know you've got your rant but have you ever t- entertained the thought or would have any interest at all in coaching another pro um
4: i don't know i i'm part of the usta mentoring program right now and the usta mentoring program mandates that uh, for 12 months that you don't coach another pro. I also think that um, so you don't have really other interests, you know, at hand. And that's just working with players anywhere from 14 years up. And that's been fun. I mean, everyone's involved with the program, Marin Verdell, Whitmire, um, Patty Finick, no, not Patty Finick, um, and Grossman, there's a bunch of former, Tara Schneider, a bunch of former players that volunteer their time to do that, and we've gone for courses, and, and that's fine. You know, like I said, I'm a humanitarian, firstly. Um, I, I don't think that my life uh, is really, I don't really want to go back on the road full-time, and that's what you have to do if you coach another pro player. I think if players wanted to come train here, or maybe I go on the road a little bit, or this one kid is playing a satellite tournament in in Austin in a couple weeks, or the kids have a junior tournament, like we'll go to that. But really, I think once you've traveled 40 weeks of the year on the road, and once you've been a pro, I've been a pro since 93, I think there's a time where you want to sleep in your own bed, you want to attend your church, you want to have your own cooked food, you just, you know, you want a little bit of normalcy. And maybe one day when my kids are gone to school or uh, something like that, maybe then I'll venture back out. But I don't really think so. I think that that's why there's a lot of male coaches on the road. Um, also, I'm not very um, confrontational, really. And so if my I would just want my player to, you know, like, okay, it's okay, don't worry about it, next time, versus come on now, you've got to get up early, don't eat that, move here, you get what I'm saying, I just, I'm not that confrontational um, that I think I, I should be able to tell a player, don't do this, or this is good for you, uh, versus I'm more than motherly, just kind of take care of them, and that's Okay.
2: So one last question before we let you go. Uh, who do you think is going to take the Wimbledon women's singles title?
4: I hope Serena does. I really think she will. You know, I read that she said she's playing good, and she said she doesn't say that very often. I looked at her the other day briefly. I, I, she played against a girl that I hadn't heard, you know, about before, who I'd never heard the name of. And um, I said to my husband, I said, look at her. Her hair is shorter. I said, she has no makeup on. She has no jewelry. She means business. And I remember one year at Wimbledon, Venus was playing in the final. Venus came and she came and warmed up. She had no makeup on. She had no jewelry. She was just like, I'm here for business. And that's the message that I got when I saw Serena. I know they're not the same person, don't get me wrong. But when mm-hmm. I saw that, I was like, she's here for business. So when she gets like that, you know, she gets – people have their opinions. She gets her F-bomb or she gets mad or she gets – she's just there for business. And so when she's there for business, um, I think um, watch out.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an incredible story to kind of be in the position to watch – history unfolding I mean it's been so many years since we had Steffi Graf winning all four majors and obviously you know Serena's going for the fourth one in a row and potentially could tie I mean there's so much on the line here and it's fascinating and you know Serena is just such a dominant she is the story no matter what and you know I'm the same I mean I hope that that she can get the title and um, you know kind of keep the the possibility of tying Steffi Graf at the U.S. Open because I can't think of a better story for women's tennis right now. But um, but we want to let you go, but f- thank you for all your stories. Thank you for all the humanitarian efforts that, I mean, you're, you're obviously someone that, you know, is giving back to the game and you have so much to offer. So it's been really great to, you know, to talk to you about that. And we really appreciate your time because we know how busy you are because you've shared that with us and, um, you know, wish you luck on all the continued, um, you know, business and everything with the family. And also we hope to see you back on the court someday. Thank you.
4: Thanks. It's been fun. It's been fun. You know, when you're kind of out of the loop and um, maybe not out of the loop, but you try and stay out of the scene. You know, you just kind of stay, try and do your thing. And um, I I, I do appreciate it, and I do enjoy listening to you guys. And thanks for having me. And um, call me anytime. I'm happy to come back. And uh, good luck to all those players at Wimbledon. I heard it's very hot. And, and they all had to go buy some fans because there's no air conditioning. Lisa Raymond texted me. She said, luckily, I'm renting a basement apartment, so that's cool. So um, I know the feeling there, is staying in places there and none of the houses have AC. But um, it's a it's wonderful time of the year. So I hope all the fans and everybody enjoy this uh, fortnight of Wimbledon and a uh, happy fourth of July. My parents just became U.S. citizens this past week, and we're going to have our first 4th of July as um, my entire family being a citizen, so it's a special time for us, too.
2: Well, that's awesome. Well, you enjoy that celebration, then. Thank you.
4: Good evening, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks Thank you, Liesel.
1: Thank you. You bet. And that was Lisa Huber. Just a thrill, stuff to be able to talk with uh, five-time doubles major champion, two-times mixed doubles champion and uh while wow, the insights about playing Fed Cup about Martina Navratilova, Serena and Venus uh, some nice Very nice insights with respect to uh, players that we know or thought we knew. Uh, We know them on the court, but uh, this is someone that's played Fed Cup with them, has played doubles with uh, them, against them, and uh, very nice uh, front row vantage point, if you will. Thank you, Liesl Huber, for for joining us tonight. And, uh, Steph, just your thoughts on uh, anything in particular that jump out at you that Liesl shared uh, uh, that, that was really striking for you.
2: That was just a lot of really great information and great stories. I appreciate Liesel's openness. Um, you know, I feel like sometimes players, you know, we, we kinda want them to have opinions but then we want them to be so PC and you know, it it's nice when you have players that are that are open. I love the Martina stories. I mean that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, I mean I've played I've played doubles with you know, with I'm not gonna say it just an age thing, but you know, I would play with much older, more experienced players um, just club level, and, you know, they used to boss me around and try to tell me where to stand, and, you know, my my innate kind of response is, you know, nothing polite I can say on the air, but, um, you know, I appreciate, you know, getting kind of guidance from other players, and I'm sure that, you know, being able to play alongside Martina is just unbelievable, and so for Liesl to share some of those little tidbits of things that she learned, not just from her, but, you know, of also observing things that, you know, she'd noticed maybe weren't Martina's strengths or just her habits on court. I mean, just really fascinating. It really kind of – the other thing it hits home is, I mean, there is so much technique. And, you know, I watch tennis, and, I mean, I, I, I like seeing great shots and, and great emotion, and I play tennis. But I'm not a good analytics person in terms of the technique and, you know, the spins and all that kind of stuff. But players certainly are, and I think Liesl, you know, certainly sharing how much knowledge she has um, – and obviously, if she, you know, they've got the academy, um, but you know, I guess that's one side of tennis. I mean, there's there's certainly a lot of knowledge that goes into it. It isn't just a simple strike the ball. I mean, it, there's just so much more to it. So yeah, I enjoyed hearing that from her as well.
1: Completely agree. The the tidbits about Martina Navratilova, Venus, and Serena, Kara Black uh, as well. And I I thought it was very interesting stuff she brought up. Uh, Lucy Shahafava and her single success and obviously has uh, a pair of uh, the first two majors of the year with Bethany Maddox-Sands, who was alive and well, in the third round of Wimbledon as well. So that that really does translate. I thought that was great. And I also really like Liesl's humanitarian efforts, uh, you know, giving back to uh, uh, to society, but also on the tennis court and, and – uh, part of the USTA Player Council and and the uh, WTA Council as well. Wow, a very involved individual, and certainly we wish Liesl ball the best with her ranch and academy as well as her health. And, yes, at the very end, you – I encourage her to come back and we hopefully we'll we'll see that if that's in the cards for for Liesl Huber and um Steph getting back to uh to Wimbledon now you know in the third round and uh taking a look at some of the matchups in particular want to uh see if any of these uh I, t- tomorrow what I really like is the Mladenovic uh, Azarenka match in fact uh, Mladenovic has had a very very nice run on grass so far this year and uh Vika Oh, we've talked about her quite a bit in this show, uh, not all the way back. Renee Denfeld called in from Germany with his observations about what necessarily isn't happening yet for, for Vika. Well, she's in the third round. Very tough customer in Mladenovic. And uh, want to get your thoughts on, on this, uh, which will be their first ever meeting of all uh, places, third round Wimbledon tomorrow.
2: It's a it's a real interesting matchup. I mean, you know, Vika did withdraw from Birmingham with the same ankle injury and didn't play Eastbourne, so you know, didn't have great preparations for Wimbledon. And um, you know, she has reached, I think, two semifinals here, but she is not a surface we expect her to to just be amazing on. But it's kind of like Medvedev is coming in with kind of a nice bit of momentum, and Azarenka isn't, um, and so it's really hard to know. I wouldn't say this is their either their best surface. So I'm. I mean, if I look at all the matchups tomorrow, I mean, that's when I'm really, really interested in. I just don't have any idea what's going to happen. And of course, um, you know, we half of the well ha- half of the um, matches in the top half are going to be first meetings. So yep. we're seeing a lot of actually the whole top quarter. Um, with Serena and Venus and, and Azarenka and, and Bencic, all those matches are the, all first meetings. So it's, you know, it's going to be an interesting day tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't even call the the Modenovic-Azarenka match because I honestly have no idea um, who's going to take that one at all. So, yeah, that's that's an awesome one. Um, you mentioned Bethany Maddox-Sands and, and uh, Belinda Bencic. Obviously, Bencic, and we didn't have a show last week. Sorry, everyone. I went to Prince Edward Island, so I was on the road. Um but, you know, Benchich won her first title. She won Eastbourne. Yep. And, you know, she's got a gr- – she she's a player we think for is going to be a wonderful player, a possible slam winner, and grass is a great surface for her. But she's playing Maddox Sands, of course, who qualified, um, you know, to be at this stage of Wimbledon. She sat out last year. I mean, this is – you know, she took out Ivanovic. She's a very interesting player. I mean, I, that's – again, I have no idea – a lot of these third round matches are just completely awesome. I'm so looking forward to them. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, that's the first meeting as well. We've never seen Bethany and Belinda play. So well,
1: what, here's a, here's another one that. Uh, well, yeah, I, I agree. I'm going to go with Benchich in this one. Just uh, I think she's got some good momentum. Eight wins in a row on grass, stuff and 13-2. Uh, and two. She played all three weeks leading in, got to a final, lost first round, and, and won last week in Eastbourne. Very prestigious tournament for Benchich to win. But here's here's something that really, uh, when I was doing um, uh, some predictions for another site and getting prepared for this show, Steph, Sam Stoser has never played on the second week of Wimbledon, never after middle Sunday, all his career. She's been to the third round a couple times, and she's got – Coco Vandeway, who won Denbosch last year, a uh, very nice win, couple of wins for, for Vandeway so far this year at Wimbledon. But um, for me, hard to believe. I was watching some of the action this morning, and they, the commentators were saying that uh, – the, the weather conditions in England right now, the fact that it's very hot, uh, the, the courts are pretty hard, that plays right into Sam Stoser uh, and, and her ability. And, and yeah, I don't know if I read completely into that, but at the same point in time, she's maybe getting to her first uh, play after middle Sunday. Uh, I'm going with Sam. I think she uh, sees this as a prime opportunity. Coco Vandeweghe playing well as well, very you know dominating in her first two matches. But uh, I want to get your thoughts on Stoser Vandeweghe there.
2: It's an interesting one. They've actually had some pretty interesting um, matches in the past, and Coco has won two of the three against Sam. But I don't believe I believe this is their first uh, grass meeting. You know, Stozer's not really hidden in the fact she's not a big fan of grass. Um, honestly, I mean, I, I didn't. I saw Coco the last time um, playing in Indian Wells, and you know, she does have weapons. But you know we we didn't mention she did take out Karolina Pliskova and of course Pliskova is someone who's had a wonderful year she just she could have won probably should have won Birmingham yep. um, title a couple weeks ago and there's been a lot of concern that she's overplaying um, and she it was on the verge of cracking the top ten has never made the second week of a major yet so. It's interesting that Vandaway did kind of, you know, I didn't see that match, I can imagine lots of big serves and big misses. Um but Coco, I think she's got certainly got a lot of self-belief. I saw a quote um Steve Tigner's piece basically Coco saying, well, I'm a better player than her. She might be higher ranked, but I have more weapons and I thought, well, yeah, I don't I don't know if I agree with that just because I don't think Coco has a consistency um of Pliskova and I you know, I don't know serve stats of both of them in terms of who's, you know, got them the more reliable serve. But um, you know, I mean I don't mind a bit of self belief. I think that players really should have a lot of self belief and believe that every time they go on the court they have a chance and can win. So I think I, I don't know, I think Coco's gonna keep that momentum going. I just I just don't trust Stoser on on grass but you know, they they have had some pretty interesting uh like I said, um uh, believe it was I guess it was last year in Miami maybe. Um, they played a re- one of those matches I think that ended at like two in the morning because I didn't stay on site <laughs> for that one. Um but the uh we're kinda jumping a little bit but I, I just with Vandaway and Stozer, the winner of that match will play the winner of Sloane Stevens and Lucy Zavasheva. And they've only played once, but that was in Dubai last year. And, I mean, Sloan was not great in a lot of 2014. But, you know, that's a really interesting chunk of the draw. Um, You know, I I mean, there's just so much. And I I have to just wind for a second that Wimbledon, the way they're scheduling, pretty (laughs) much makes all of the women's matches on at the same time. And it's so frustrating because – How do you do this? I mean, you can't – you really just have to pick one. And, you know, I'm a big fan of ESPN3 because ESPN just, like, shows – it's just too scattered. You know, they they talk too much. There's too many breaks. And, you know, they'll pull into a match for, oh, well, this place – players serving for the match and then all of a sudden they don't serve it out and you're stuck with a match you don't care about and you know espn3 is just reliable but it's just really difficult you know today i was trying to track like four or five matches at once and it's just impossible um but you know we haven't even talked about the um serena watson match and venus krunich match thoughts on
1: well, first first stuff, real quick, uh, bef- before we go back up to the top there. Um, you know, Sloane Stephens, quarter finalist two years ago, Wimbledon. Lucy Shahafova, semifinalist last year, Wimbledon. And Lucy, uh, Allison Risk was serving for the matcher against her in the first round, second set, and uh, Lucy got out of that and then uh, steadied her game and was able to get through. Allison Risk, very good gla- grass court player, unfortunately for her, not so much this year. So Lucy caught a break there. But I'm uh, – I'm really liking Sloane Stevens. I think that uh, we talked on the show again. She's quietly putting together some nice wins, getting a little bit more consistency, uh big heartbreak for Sloane getting to uh, the semifinals uh, uh, in Eastbourne, where Wozniacki took her out. She, you know, got a walk over in the quarterfinals We're thinking, okay, is Sloane finally get to get, going to get to a final, possibly even win? And, uh, you know, unfortunately, hey, Rod Wanska, not Wozniacki, he took her out. I'm sorry about that. But, uh, yeah, didn't happen for Sloan, but yet some more momentum, if you will. I, uh, I'm i going with Sloan Stevens in the upset uh, here. And uh, you mentioned we're jumping around hopscotching, uh, as you mentioned, going way back up to the top of the draw. Serena Williams and Heather Watson and uh, Alexander Krunich and Venus Williams. Venus getting through Putin Seva, which was more than a handful in the uh, – second round and and Krunich with a nice win as well. I um yeah, do you think Krunich has any shot against Venus here?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Krunich obviously had a great run last year in at the US Open and I don't feel like we've really seen or really heard much about her since just hasn't had a lot of, of wins, but um, you know, Krunich took out Skivoni or sorry, um, Vinci. am hey, all those Italians Arani. were in the same place. Yep. Um, took out Vinci and then Ar- and Irani um, in the last round. And you know, neither, I mean, Vinci's not a bad player on grass, but not really having a lot of good results. And Irani is not going to excel too much on grass, so I'm not going to put a lot of stock into who she's beaten. But I mean, I didn't. I did see a, a little bit of. I'm um, oh, sorry, I was listening to Venus's magic with Seva, so I didn't really see it. But it did seem kind of the opposite of what Venus's first round match was where she couldn't do much wrong but is tricky you know she's so short and her shots are so low and um you know she's a feisty player so i don't know i i i, I my gut tells me Venus is not going to struggle uh with Krunch um and of course what we haven't said yet is that Serena and Venus could possibly play and the next round, should they both get by their opponents? I mean, I, I can't see either one of these players preventing that. Um, side note: I'm I'm really disappointed that the draw fell like this. I, yep. you know, Venus had had such a great year, and you know, I've been waiting for years for her to have a really good run at, at a, you know at a slam, and of course she did in Melbourne, and then it kind of fell apart against Keys in the quarters, and we could have had a Serena Venus. Um, Semifinal in Melbourne, but Serena and Venus haven't played at Wimbledon since the '09 final, so it's been some time that we've seen them play in a Slam. And it, you know, Serena was asked about it, and I, I know she doesn't like hearing about her draw. But I thought that they usually check if they're on the same half. Mm, right, um, right. She was asked about it. My friend uh, Bobby Chintapally actually sent um, a link to the video. And Serena almost looked like she couldn't get words out when she was asked about playing Venus. She seemed kind of like in shock a little bit. And so whether she honestly didn't know and and was just kind of trying to comprehend it when she was asked about it, but either way, I mean, she looked really disappointed. Um, So I'm just mad at the tennis gods for putting them as a potential fourth round match, but I do think we're going to get it. This is, I mean, Krunic has never played Venus. Right. Heather Watson has never played Serena. Of course, that's going to be on center court tomorrow. Um, you know, Watson is, she'll have the crowd, but you know, Serena's dealt with a lot of, I think she said, she's played so many home players at their own tournaments that, you know, she's not too phased by that, but, um, I can't see any anything that's going to stand in the way. And I do think we're going to get Serena Vika quarterfinal, by the way. That's where yeah. we're heading, and I do think Vika's going to get through that. But who knows? It could end up being Benjic, <laughs> yeah.
1: you know, in the well, quarter. I've, I've got I've got Miladinovic taking out Vika, so uh, we'll see about yeah. that. But, boy, you know, uh, you mentioned the tennis gods putting this together, you know, Wow, Venus gets a Venus gets the number 16 seed and look where she ends up. So, uh, you know, be careful what you wish for, I suppose. But yeah, that was that's okay. just the way that that one worked out. But yep, Serena and Venus we talked on the show stuff probably about a month ago, uh or actually uh shortly after Serena won Roland Garros and saying, "Wow, wouldn't it be something if uh, Venus could uh, prohibit her from uh you know, momentum, if you will, of of going for the calendar slam. And uh, yeah, this this could very well happen uh, much earlier than I think anybody would have thought or dreamed. But absolutely, probably most likely looking at a Serena Williams, Venus Williams round of 16 match. And uh, interesting. And Steph, let's go to the bottom half of the draw real quickly. And uh, obviously, a lot more seeds are uh, alive and well in the bottom than than the top half. And, uh, you know, Angie Kerber's playing exceptionally well right now, uh, just drumming people. We talked about the, the double bagel. She's got a an interesting match against Muguruza. Um, I'm thinking Angie in this one based on the form she's shown uh, on clay, on grass, really anywhere of late. And uh, Muguruza obviously uh, finally got things back together again at Roland Garros. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think Angie Kerber all the way in this match. What do you think?
2: I actually picked Kerber to make the semis. Um, I do a little tennis channel, draw every slam, and and I actually picked um, Serena and Lisicki, I believe, on the top half, um, I think. God, I'm like trying to find Sabine. I can't be right. <laughs> anyway, I picked Kerber to make a semi. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: so,
2: um, oh, maybe Kerber. Yeah, that's right, because Kerber and Lisicki could actually play in the quarters. But, yeah, I picked Kerber to make the semis. You know, we talked a lot about how her year kind of turned around, and, you know, basically since the clay has now um, gone 24-3 and 3 since yeah. the clay season started. So, I mean, she has just completely turned things around, and she looks great on court. I just think she um, is definitely going to – I feel like she's going to get through um, Muguruza. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's great to see that. I think that it's all just coming together for, for Angie, which is awesome. Um just looking at the draw here, the she, the winner of that match would face either Wozniacki or Georgie. Now, oh. Wozniacki had some injury concerns coming into the tournament. She pulled out of um, the semifinal in Eastbourne. She was supposed to play Benchich, Am I? Is that right? I believe. Um, Yeah, because then Radwanska was in the other semifinal. So, you know, Wozniacki has lost to Georgie a couple times, uh, including in a Grand Slam at the U.S. Open. And she kind of got a little testy today. She was asked about um, Georgie in the press conference and, you know, just saw a little quote um, shared by a few people on, on Twitter and she kind of, you know, I, I think it was the way the question was posed, but it was kind of like, oh, well, Georgie's a really awesome player and and whatnot. And, and I think Wozniacki probably took it a little bit offensive, you know, a little offensive um, because she said, well, whose press conference is this, Camilla's or whatever. And I think Courtney Nguyen told me that she had just only been asked one question before that about Georgie, but it just kind of made me think, okay, well, it may just be one of those players that she just, really doesn't enjoy um, facing and has some bad memories because, I mean, Georgie beat her at the U.S. Open. I believe that's when Wozniacki was still, like, top she top seed then. I feel like that was 2012, but I could be making that up. Um, but, you know, she wasn't a huge upset at the time. And, you know, Camila is now coming off, you know, her first title win. Yeah. She has not dropped a set uh, in her first couple matches and Wozniacki had a lot of trouble closing out Alar today. She was up 5-1 and actually was down... Was she down 5-1 to Jung, I think, in the first round? That was another one I was listening to on Wimbledon radio, but she was down a double break, I think, at least 4-1 in that first set. So, you know, she's kind of had some lopsided um, set scores and was lucky to get through today in straight sets, but... um, you know, Wozniacki's never done great on, on at Wimbledon. I don't think she's ever gotten past the fourth round. Um, it's nice to see her kind of being discussed a little bit as the number five seed. Um, but yeah, I kind of feel like uh, I'm, I'm. I'm thinking Wozniacki's going to to write the ship. I feel like maybe she'll have some inner anger about Georgie and is really going to be motivated to finally to get another win against her.
1: Well, I, I caught the uh, the tail end of that match today, Steph, and, and she did not play well near the end. Uh, she had a big lead and squandered it and uh, won it in the, in, the, in the tiebreaker. And the look on her face was, was of relief and a uh, long exhale and, uh, you know, a thank God descended in two because I – not sure what may have happened in, in set three. That's, that's how I read Caroline Wozniacki's face. Just, uh, utter relief, if you will, to, to get through that. And to really not happy with the way she played near the back end of that, uh, against, uh, you know, perhaps a, a more experienced, more talented player. It could have been trouble for her, uh, possibly a third set, maybe even out the door, but, uh, um, Fortunately for Caroline Wozniacki, she did get through, and that leads right into that press conference that you mentioned. Maybe that testiness—I think—I uh, don't think it was maybe directed toward uh, whoever asked the question or the subject matter. I think she was still very unhappy with herself and the way she uh, really backed into that victory. That's how, that's how I would take that.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I mean, I was try- one of the matches that I was trying to watch, and I did see you know, a little bit of, of her lead slip away and, and, and match point and everything. And, yeah, I mean, she, there was some emotion on the court. So, you know, no doubt that some of that did carry over into the presser. Um, but, you know, it's a good opportunity for, for Wozniacki to maybe get to the second week here. Um, but uh, someone who's really familiar with the second week at Wimbledon is also in the top part of the bottom half, and that's Sabine Lissicki, and she dropped the first set today against Christina McHale, and of course, this opened center court today, and um, McHale had never set foot on center court, and she was shown on ESPN, like, I think, or there was a tweet I saw that she actually had someone show her and give her a little bit of a tour and kind of explain everything, which I think was really smart, so she wasn't yeah. completely intimidated, but um, yeah. from the sounds of it, Sabine was kind of messy in the first set and, and really wasn't... was Hitting a lot of, of errors, but you know, it easily could have been a two set win for Christina. She got up an early break in the second set, ended up losing that set, um, seven five, and then Sabine kind of cruised in the third set. But you know, that would have been a really interesting twist to that top half, um, yeah. had Lasicki been knocked off because you know, you look at everyone in, in the top part of the bottom half, and you know, there's I mean, Sabine, I wouldn't have been shocked at all. I mean, I did. Um, I think I did still pick Kerber to get out of that, but I mean, Sabine being a semifinalist from that section would not be a surprise at all. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, But yeah, so she's going to face Basinski next. Do you know much about Tamea and her grass court uh, experiences?
1: Not not really. Uh, Obviously, she's really been putting things together in the last year and a half or so. And uh, yeah, I I think she did play Maria Sharapova last year. But uh, I yeah, I don't I really haven't followed much of her uh, on the grass court season. There's been so many other stories. So I'm not uh, unfortunately, I'm not familiar with uh, with what she's done coming into Wimbledon.
2: Well, it's interesting because I've seen a lot of Twitter discussion of people kind of thinking, is Tamea good on grass? And so I looked it up, and, I mean, she's she played qualifying here last year, just to give context again to how well she has done in the last year. Yeah. Um, and she she did make the second round, and she's never gotten past that, and she did lose to Sharapova last year. But um, she has, I mean, I looked, and she played Denbosch back in 2007, but I couldn't see that she's played Birmingham or Eastbourne yeah. Um, I'm not sure about Nottingham, but yeah, I mean, she doesn't have, it doesn't seem like she's got very extensive grass experience, but, you know, we always talk about what confidence can do, and she's got a great chance, you know, just having a lot of um, happy memories by how well things have been going for her. And, uh, yeah, that's another one that, I I mean, I would expect Lisicki's probably going to get through that just because she does love the grass, but that's a really interesting matchup as well. And, um but the that matchup uh, whoever wins that gets either Christina pliskova mm. monica nicolescu how about that match uh
1: shocking that we're there and um uh, reminds me a little bit of uh of the top half stuff where only one one match in that round ha- is between a pair of seeds here here's one uh, in this this half of the draw with uh, unseeded players but boy i, I don't think anybody could have uh, could have picked uh uh Not only this matchup, but either either one of these players to be in the third round, and here they are facing each other. Great opportunity for uh, for someone to gain a lot of points, and uh, you never know. I mean, um, you know, you get to that fourth round, you've got some momentum, and anything can happen. I mean, you just mentioned Steph. Christina McHale taking the first set from Lasicki. I don't think anybody thought that was possible, and yet there it was. She's a set away from advancing. So, yeah, one of those um, players, Christina, as you mentioned, Pliskova or Nicolescu, will be in the fourth round taking on the winner of Lasicki and Bajcinski.
2: One note on that, and that's the Nicolescu Pliskova. That was Hallup's spot in the draw. Oh and
1: yeah. Of course,
2: we're not surprised to see Pliskova still in the in the match in the tournament but this is Christina Pliskova this is not Carolina and uh you know Christina beat Svetlana Kuznetsova today and I was a little surprised i thought sveta was in kind of control of that match but you know this is a really interesting um possibility for one of those players to be in the fourth round and good on Christina you know i mean i know that you know, a lot's not known about her. I mean, she used to play a bit of doubles with her sister, but her singles ranking just has not been high enough for a long time. Um, I was actually surprised she was in the main draw. I didn't think she was that close to even being that high, but um, it's so hard to keep track of these things all the time. Um, but another unseated matchup in this section is Rybarikova and Govortsova. <laughs> Someone tweeted today were respective 0 and 7 and 3 and 8 in at Wimbledon coming into this year. I mean, Ryberkova had never won a, a Wimbledon match and here she is with a shot at the fourth round. So very unpredictable.
1: Extremely. I mean, uh, it's almost too bad that uh the Christina Pliskova-Nicolescu winner doesn't get the winner of this match. That way we'd have somebody getting even further that uh, nobody expected. But uh, there we go. We, we, we're going to have the, these last four names that we mentioned, Steph. Two of these four names are going to be in the fourth round at Wimbledon in 2015. Absolutely amazing.
2: And, and the and the player who has a huge, huge chance to take advantage of this section is Madison Keys. Yeah. And, you know, Madison Keys is someone... I mean, she she has been touted as the you know the American woman who is going to do big things. She's had that tag for a couple years now. Of course, she had the great run in Melbourne. She won Eastbourne last year, but then you know she got really sick this year and was in bed and didn't get good training in. You know, did she lost the first round in Eastbourne? And uh, you know, I saw a little bit of her match today, and um, she played. I already forgot. Um, someone's last, oh, Kulichkova, um, who, you know, did really well and made the quarters as a qualifier this year in Katowice. Otherwise, I hadn't really seen much of her. But, you know, here the, the trend with Madison is that, you know, she get up a break, and then in, like, 4.5 seconds, she'd be down love 40 on her serve. You know, just uh, just a complete roller coaster. And, you know, she had her first-round match, got carried over to a second day because of darkness. And, you know, she seems to get leads, and then it just quickly vanishes. But she placed um, Maria next, um, Tatiana Maria, who is in the third round of a slam for the first time at age 27. You know, she beat... Duan, who had beaten Jeannie Bouchard, and you know that whole section—the draw is really open—and so this is huge for Madison because she would yeah. get the winner of Rybakova Govortsova. I mean, she's got a huge t- chance to do really, really well at Wimbledon. Um, you know, can she capitalize on that? I mean, you know, we talked about Ivanovic's draw in Paris, and everything opened up for her, and she was able to get to the semis. Is Keys going to take this? this opportunity and and make the second week of wimbledon potentially semifinals i mean i hope so but that's you know it's a lot of pressure on her to, to kind of be the um the favorite in you know the heavy favorite in some of these matches but uh but yeah have you thoughts on madison and whether she can kind of grab it and, and run hard at wimbledon i
1: i would think so this is this is a a, a solid opportunity to get a couple of wins uh, given uh, the fact that she's playing maria and then the winner of ribarikova kovac uh stuff absolutely that said look what we've seen at wimbledon so far so many top players out out very early and uh you know chances are this can happen here uh, everybody's thinking madison keys should hit the fast forward button, win the next couple of rounds, and and uh, here we are, very deep in the draw into the second week, another match under your belt in the second week, and anything can happen with Madison Keys, who she is and what she, what her game is, uh, especially at Wimbledon. But wow, I mean, we've seen wreckage in in the WTA draw at Wimbledon, and and I don't think I'd be surprised by anything. We we just talked about a couple of matchups where, you know, these names, uh, the records they've had coming in, uh, other you know. The other Pliska, if, if you will, Nicolescu, what she's doing in the third round, possibly the fourth. So, wow, I mean, you would think Madison Key should get the job done, but uh, I think it'll go back to what you just said before you turned it over to me. Will she be able to handle it? Can she handle the nerves? They're going to be there. This is something, this is a match she should win, is expected to win, and that's a whole different set of, uh, of nerves going in with the, with that mindset.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I didn't see all of her first-round match, but, you know, it was um, just more of the same. I mean, she played Stephanie Vogelay. I I don't think Stephanie should have given her – I don't think it should have gone three sets. Um, But, you know, it is really hard to transition to being expected to win these matches. And and no matter what successes she had in winning Eastbourne and and making a good run in the slam and playing great against Serena, I mean – it's just a whole different ball game um, to kind of all automatically then just pull yep. it all together. And she's still very hit and miss. You know, she's ve- she can just be so amazing and then just diabolical. And yep. you know, she needs to find a happy medium. But you know, is she going to be a bit of like Havitava? I mean, is right. that a bad thing? I mean, you know, Petra's one, two majors. She's
0: mm-hmm. two in the
2: world right now. I mean, she's barely dropping – she's dropped three games in two matches so yep. far at Wimbledon. Um, you know, it's, there's worse things in the world than to kind of have that kind of just, you know, all-or-nothing game. Um, but I, I feel like Madison's just still so young and raw, and, yep. um, you know, she she definitely – I'm so excited for her future still. Um, you know, is it, is it too much too soon for her to, to have a big run at Wimbledon this year? It could be. You know, it could be that, um, you know, getting maybe to the second week is going to be an achievement for her. But, yeah, I mean, just a huge opportunity. And, it, you know, that is nerve-wracking for players. But also, yeah. I mean, it's an opportunity. And, you know, Serena and Venus have both quoted Billie Jean King about how pressure is a privilege. Yeah. And I I would hope that she's kind of – getting people around her, whether it's Davenport Porter and other people to kind of, you know, help her manage that because it is a, a really big, big, um, a lot of big expectations on Madison's shoulders.
1: Yeah, completely agree. And, um, I'm thinking she's going to get the job done. She'll maybe have a hiccup or two, but nothing too serious to, uh, to threaten her departure and the next couple of rounds stuff. And, you know, we talked about Petra and how good she's playing, how well she's playing dropped only three games and in, in two matches. But, uh, we're, t- we're going to talk about the the next little section here, but before we talk about Petra Kvitova, Agarad Wanska, finally playing some good tennis, uh, obviously, uh, got to the final, uh, losing to Benchich in Eastbourne. Um, but got to a final nonetheless. She's going to take on Casey DeLacqua. Uh, I think Aga's got to feel very good about uh, where she is. Probably a little disappointed she didn't get the title, but at the same point, got enough match play under her belt, got enough wins, went the distance, played the maximum numbers that he's Born She's going to play Casey DeLacqua. Um, The winner of that takes on Yankovic and Kvitova. Let's let's first talk about Aga. What... uh, uh, is grass the tonic for her and, uh, you know, fortunately she can go into some salvage mode if you will, uh, for the season with, with a good showing here
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't think she could have asked for um, I guess a, 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 a better third round opponent, Casey Delacroix. I mean, Casey yeah. took out Svitolina today that was a very good win for her Casey hasn't really had a great I mean, I'm going to say last 12 months nine months you know, on the singles court, anyway, she's had a little bit more successes in doubles. But, um, yeah, I mean, Ag is – they've played twice, and Casey has not won many games at all. Um, I do think that Ag is going to get through on that. But, like you said, she did make the Eastbourne final, but she did get baggled by Bencic.
0: Yeah.
2: And I did see, you know, she got bagged by Nicolescu um, recently as well. And in her last three losses, she actually lost the third set, 6-1 or 6 love. So that kind of tells me a lot where she's at confidence-wise and just her mental um, game is still damaged. But I do think that getting her back on grass, things are kind of at least coming together a little bit better. I mean, there's no shame in losing to Benchett. She's very talented. But those bagel sets are a little bit of a worry to me that she could kind of fade away when you know she is the more experienced player. She's won plenty of big matches before so I'm, I am I think Aga's going to get through and, of course, could play Kvitova. They played on grass once, um, and I'm just going to skip over. I don't think Jay just got a shot against Petra, but no. you know, if we do get Aga-Petra, they did play once at Eastbourne a couple years ago. I, I was at that match, actually, as, and Petra won in a third set tiebreaker. But I think Aga had a huge lead in that third set. I mean, she should have won that match, and, of course, Petra would go on to win Wimbledon, <laughs> Um <laughs> that year so it's not like, you know, that was a bad loss for Aga, but um yeah, I mean, I think that I feel like Petra is things are clicking for her and mm-hmm. from all signs she's playing great, but I will say that beating Krumi Nara is not something that I think is a wow. I mean, you yeah. know, Nara is not exactly I mean, she's so small, so much shorter <laughs> than than Petra, um Kiki Bertens. I mean, I was surprised that was a, a one-in-love first-rounder. Mm-hmm. But, you know, good for Petra. She's got a couple really quick wins under her belt. And, I mean, I, I think we could potentially see Keys and Petra in the quarters. Yeah. And I kind of think that's where we're heading. And, of course, Madison beat Petra this year at the Australian Open. Um, mm-hmm. Two lefties. I, I mean, I don't know. I think it's very exciting. Oh, wait. I'm getting so tired. Madison's a lefty, isn't she?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Am I making that up?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'm so I'm so tired right now. It's like no, two hours good. later. My body clock. Yeah. Anyway, for some reason, I was like, "Yeah, she's a lefty," and then I went, "No, she's not." Um, <laughs> but you know that that could be a really tasty quarterfinal, and I do think that's where we're heading. But um, but Yankovic, I'm kind of skipping over her. But yeah. I never expect her to do anything on grass. I'm quite surprised she's in the third round. Um, but did you see the the really fun video and tweets about um, JJ today and her fan?
1: I did not see that. No.
2: Oh uh, well, there's a German woman who apparently is like a JJ super fan, and um, there's a video of JJ like running to this woman in the crowd and actually like giving her things like bananas and, and drinks. <laughs> it ended up that it's this super fan, and JJ thought she had died. Anyway, so she oh. had—I don't know how that came about, and I—I I, I hope someone like writes a story because it's—I love things like this. Um, yeah. But they, the, there was a vine of J.J. running up to this, this woman and giving her this huge hug, and they were, like, shaking as they were hugging. And J.J. was so happy, and she's like, I thought you were dead. Um, <laughs> and so I don't know if she was being literal or just kind of being funny in a J.J. way, but, you know, I love I love fan stories like that. Um, you know, there's plenty of fans that do scary things to right be remembered by players but you know if you've got fans that travel around with you and it sounds like that's what this woman did Um, but yeah JJ got through a three-set match today over Rodina who had taken out Robson of course who um, had gotten a wild card in the singles so yeah I mean things have really kind of opened up on this bottom half but I you know I still think that I think we're going to get a German in the semi you know, in the semis um I don't know could be Kerber could be Lisicki and then I really think we're going to be looking at Keys and, and Petra in the quarters but you know some very very tasty third round matches in general um yeah. and a potential Serena Venus fourth round match on Monday I mean I Ah, <laughs> uh, so much to salivate over.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's 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 a number of seeds that are out and yet still look at the matchups we're talking about unbelievable. And uh two things there that super fan. I you know, if you were to describe that without uh you know, without identifying the WTA player, uh, I think J.J. would be a lot of people's first guest to to be the person involved in uh, what you just described. I think that's great. And, um, Steph, I want to share something else. You know, we talked a little bit about Fed Cup with uh, with our guest Liesl Huber and um, talked about two names here in the round of 16 here in the bottom half. Excuse me, the third round in the bottom half. And that is Magdalena Rybarikova and Casey DeLacqua. Al, Al- Arantxa Roos, the player, the Dutch player who had the long winning streak from a couple of years ago, she is ranked about
0: two forty.
1: <laughs> yeah, losing streak. She is ranked about two forty-seven right now, Steph. Mm-hmm. She has Fed Cup wins in different events over Rybarkova, who was number forty-four, over Casey Delacqua, number forty-seven. Those two ladies are in the third round at Wimbledon. And Arantxa Roos is playing a fifteen thousand dollar ITF event in the Netherlands this week. Amazing. Wow. That's uh that's what Fed Cup can do for somebody that can just
0: uh.
1: make career moments and uh yep, like to see her get back uh, you know, on tour and whatnot in the main draws of events, but two players that she beat are in the third mm. round. Quite amazing.
2: Indeed. Yeah, it's you know I always remember Ruth for her huge win over Clysters at the French Open, and of course, you know you, we talk so much about Jeannie and her slide, and and actually Karen um had had sent in a question earlier, and I love Karen's awesome, and I know sometimes she has trouble calling in from Jamaica, but she's got a great blog um that she writes uh, called The Spin, and she had tweeted in earlier and written about Jeannie and whether it's a slump that she's actually in um, because we've talked about this losing streak that she's on. And, you know, we talk a little bit about, you know, how up, is it a slump? Okay. And and Karen is pointing out she's kind of underperforming in slams and has actually won three titles this year. But, you know, she's wondering if what Jeannie's going through is a slump or if she's performing at a level she's used to. And, you know, it's an interesting discussion because, you know, we had such a small sample size of, of Jeannie doing really well Right. Um, and then you just see how quickly it all falls apart, and and you know we we you, know, you you totally look at these players that we've just gone over that maybe are surprises, and I mean it's always fun to talk about top players and you know and, and trying to create good narratives and stories around them, but there's a lot of great stories and and players who don't have the same notoriety and and successes and and them still doing well, and you know I do think it's all about the depth and belief yeah. and. You know, you you do want your number eighty player to contend well against the, a top fifteen player. I mean, you need that. Otherwise, who's going to buy tickets to early rounds of you know of of any yeah. tournament? But but I'm just kind of wondering your take on on Jeannie. If this if you're in the narrative, think that this really is a slump and and we're going to see better, or is this just kind of what really was normal to her and she just had a, a nice run? I mean, it's 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 a hard question. Mm-hmm but well anyway, Karen was inquiry minds from Karen
1: Yeah let's go back last year obviously very good uh, very good Australian Open Roland Garros outstanding Wimbledon got to the final and then you know Steph, she she didn't fare well after Wimbledon she went to her tournament in Montreal, Shelby Rogers got her, lost early, uh, you know, in Cincinnati, lost very early U.S. Open, got got to the quarters again at at the Australian this year. I think she had a final appearance in Wuhan as well, near the end of the year uh, as well. So then um, I, again, I'll go back to it because I was there at Indian Wells. I, I was at the Coco Vandewey match where she played exceptionally well, and then I was also at the match against uh, Soranko where she just completely lost it and, and melted down, and she has not been the same player since. You know, I was I, for a while there. She was playing exceptionally well at majors, not so not so well, you know, anything else. But she was a big-time money player when it counted the most at the majors. Well, that's disappeared right now as well, unfortunately, for her, where, again, shortly after Indian Wells, she's done literally nothing. And uh, Fed Cup losses, you think, okay, she's playing a Fed Cup tie in Montreal against uh, some Romanians that uh, not named Simona Holop. Doesn't matter. Doesn't get the win there either. Uh, there is something going on there. You know, I was sitting near some Canadian folks uh, the next day after Jeannie lost, uh, we, I was at a Milos Raonic match, and the same Canadians that were at Jeannie's match were there. And We were talking a little bit, and they were not happy with the way Jeannie conducted herself against Serenko. And mind you, this was the very first loss that started it all, and yet the body language that Jeannie was showing at that match, throwing her racket toward the, the bench on changeovers, something was not clicking. There was a lot of unhappiness there, and... and you know, two days later, I just saw her absolutely destroy Coco Vandeway. So to answer your question, I I don't think that she quite enjoys playing tennis right now. And if you don't enjoy the match, you sure as heck don't like the practice, the running, uh, the instruction from the coach. Any little thing is, is bothering her at this point in time. Uh, I'll go back. You know, Petra, for whatever reason, you know, tiredness, took the month of March off. Missed two big title uh, champ, miss two big tournaments. Indian Wells, Miami. Here we are, Steph. She's the number two player in the world without playing two big tournaments in Miami, in Miami and Indian Wells. I think possibly Jeannie Bouchard needs to shut it down for a while. Um, you know, she's she's injured, as we know, right now. It doesn't make any sense. Get away from tennis for a while, and uh, when you are absolutely ready, upstairs, and you're ready to put in the work and and be a competitor again then it's time to come back. She'll get wild cards all over the place when she's ready to come back. She can even go the protected ranking route. I mean, she's only going. She's in the mid-20s right now, even with a uh, first-round Wimbledon loss. Not horrible. Um, she's a competitor. She's a gamer. And let's not forget the losses that she was uh, of matches. She wasn't getting the, the, the bagels like Aga Redwanska was. She was competitive. She was winning a set. She was ahead in sets. She was ahead in third sets and not closing. It's a big difference getting completely blown off the court and being there and for some reason not being able to finish the match. She's playing pretty well in between. She's just not closing. That's what I've seen.
2: Yeah. It's interesting because if you look back at the Wimbledon final last year, and of course, you know, it was a 6 3, 6 love victory for Petra. And I don't even feel like it was that close. I mean, no. Petra was zoning, she was peak Petra, all those things we say about her. And, you know, we didn't see Jeannie again until Montreal, where, of course, it is her home province. She did lose and got bageled in two of the three sets to Shelby Rogers. But, you know, I mean, what psychologically did that Wimbledon loss do to her? Because that was pretty bad loss. I mean, you don't want to get to a Grand Slam final and win three games. I mean, that is not a great – and especially when you're younger and you just don't have – maybe the coping mechanisms is, is more experienced players and trying to deal with that loss. And, you know, I'm looking at her her fall last year. I mean, she lost first round in Montreal. She lost the first round in Cincinnati, won one match in New Haven before she lost. And then she did make the fourth round of the, uh, of the U.S. Open. Um, you know, so that was – and then she did get to the final in Wuhan. So she kind of did – do a little bit better, Um, and then, of course, lost early in Beijing, one round in Linz, and then barely won matches in Singapore. But, you know, she basically, you know, because of her results in the majors, got herself to Singapore. And, I I mean, there's no way we're going to see her there again this year. But, um, you know, I just, I don't know. I kind of think that that Wimbledon final maybe kind of started it. But I also kind of agree with Karen at least a little bit in thinking, you know, this may be the top 10, top six player that we had for that few months last year, maybe that is just not who we're going to be seeing, you know, long-term from her. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we don't, I feel like we don't have enough data to really kind of know um, how to answer this question one way or another, because you can kind of argue both sides, but either way, I mean, I, I kind of just, there's a lot of people that just start to feel bad for for a player when these things happen, but there's still plenty of people that I've seen comments on Facebook. They're like, well, she should stop the modeling. I'm like, what modeling? She's done a few, like, shoes. But, I mean, they all have sponsored demand, so that happens. But it's not like, you know, people act like, oh, well, you got to train, you got to train. Okay, well, you train too much, you're going to be injured. You have to have some life or you're not going to enjoy tennis at all. But anyway... It's just one of those things that Karen had put that question up. I wanted to try squeeze it in. I know we're running yeah. out of time as usual, but you know, we had diesel for a good amount of time tonight, which yeah. is really great. Um, you know, we do hope for our listeners to get more um, ca- you know, players to talk to and it's a little easier once we get into the US hard court season. We'll have a lot more of them in our time zone. Um, but closing thoughts from you, Peach.
1: Well, I, I one thing I really didn't think of before, and I think you you and Karen mentioned it, uh, there, the bagel and the set, final set against Kvitova at Wimbledon. I hadn't thought of that. But, yeah, the psychological aspect of that, she was riding high. You know, obviously Petra won her second Wimbledon there and was playing like she's playing the second couple weeks here uh, at Wimbledon as well. So didn't really think of it that way, but I, I think there's food for thought there. You did mention the fourth round at the U.S. Open. But, yeah, her first major, three in love that's got to be possibly she's still holding on to that but uh we'll see yeah but i also like what you said Steph. i don't think we that the sample size is is quite large enough right now so uh good call and um as you mentioned some tasty matches coming up the next two days at wimbledon third round wta Plenty of fantastic matches, and Steph, when we get together next Thursday, we'll be talking about deep in the tournament and um, looking forward to uh, talking about what we've seen between tomorrow and next Thursday. So uh, on behalf of Liesl Huber and Stephanie Neppel, this is Pete Zebron saying good night, and we'll talk to you next week on Passing Shots on the Pro10 Radio Network. Good night.
0: That's all, folks.